They look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to Crossroads Church. And if you were joining us at the Lompoc campus, we are so glad that you're joining us this morning. Uh, we're so glad that you're gathered together. We're thankful for you. It's been a long time uh, coming to see Sunday mornings there. And so we're so glad that you are here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is the story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about... Jesus. We wrote it on the wall, and Fred, don't worry, we're going to write it on the wall on the Lompoc campus as well. Uh, and so what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so uh, if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you think that. Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Hey, man, that's better. Uh, hey, turning your Bible to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 18. And we're going to be there in verse 1 this morning. If you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and turn left. You'll find it much faster. Uh, or you can go two-thirds of the way through. You'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. John 18, starting in verse 1. You can say amen when you're there. Verse 1 says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers and chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them. Notice verse 4 again. It says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Notice verse 9. This was to fulfill the word that had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace that you'd help us in all things to look to you. 
the author, the finisher of our faith, the one who writes a better story than we do. I thank you today that your word would challenge us, exhort us, move us forward. I thank you for those gathering uh, on the online campus, at the Lompoc campus. This isn't about a preacher. This isn't about a church. This is about a group of people gathering together, centered around this one thing, this one person, the name of Jesus. We ask that everything we say and do will bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said... Amen. How many of you are control freaks? Right, come on, just put them up, right? Some of you, this is what the kicker, uh, some of you, uh, I know you're lying because this next question is going to reveal that. How many of you, you always have to be the person driving? Like some of the hands that didn't go up the first time went up the second time. Like uh, I want to be the person in charge. I want to drive and I don't know if I'm willing to put my life in somebody else's hands, even if it's the mother of my children. And uh, and yet some of us, man, we like to be in control. We don't like the feeling of being in out of control. I remember when I was six years old, I was over at my cousin's house, Daniel, and uh, my mom was inside with his mom and dad, my uncle, Jerome, my aunt Tammy, and, and they were there together, and they're talking and chatty Kathy and going on, and me and my cousin are outside, and he is riding his new bike uh, in front of me for all of a couple hours. Okay, and what I mean by that is uh, I didn't have a bike and he got a new bike and for whatever reason, uh, my parents didn't think it would be a good idea to come out and maybe say, hey, Daniel, maybe you could share and his dad didn't come out and think uh, that uh, maybe uh, it wasn't appropriate for me to just be sitting there and watching his son play with a new bike and I'm not mad about it still 30 years later. Uh, but uh, I mean, and here's the reality, like what's, what's up? This is parenting 101. Like, if, if cousins are hanging out together, you should be watching them. Amen? Right? Let's just be honest. You, you got a couple of cousins, and, and, and you know them, and if you don't know them, you're that cousin. Anyways, and, and, and you just need some supervision uh, on them. And, and so my cousin Daniel was just hopping jumps and, and, and just tail whipping the, the back of his bike around in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And my cousin Daniel lived on a, a hill, and that's why people call us in eastern Kentucky hillbillies and ridge runners, all right? Because we live on the side of a hill and the cul-de-sac was basically uh, what we call the holler and uh, it was basically a turn at the top of the hill just went back down the other ridge of the mountain and uh, and, and as you can imagine uh, this type of place where I'm from uh, if the Hunger Games break out we're section 12 okay uh, so you're there with me you can imagine what this is like and and, and I finally got fed up that Daniel was just uh, showing off on his bike, and I'm just sitting there watching, that I decided to grab the neighbor's bike out of the bushes, and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Now, the problem is this. I'm six years old, and the neighbor who has the bike happens to be 16 years old. And you can imagine there is a disparity uh, in height when it came to, uh, because I was six, not because, anyways. And uh, and there's a disparity uh, in, in the 16-year-old's bike and what would be appropriate for the six-year-old. 
world, but I decided, man, I have had enough. And so I jump onto his bike and, and, and I'm just whipping it around. But what, I, what I've not done yet is sit on the seat. I'm kind of doing the jump thing back and forth going up the hill. And I finally decide that I've had enough of this, that Daniel and I, oh yeah, you can jump jumps, but uh, let's race down the top of the hill. And so we make our way up to the top of one side of the hill and then we start down the other side of the hill. Now, the thing about my cousin Daniel, he's a little older than I am, and, and he's always beating me at just about everything. But on this one particular day, man, I have taken the lead and we are making our way down this hill but at that moment it's not dawned on me that there's a problem because when I started down the hill and I sat on the seat my feet could not reach the pedals and now I am just blitzing down this hill with the pedals just out of control and right in the road is a rock about this big and I hit that rock and over the handlebars I go face plant onto the asphalt and then I hit my feet and keep off keep on running I'm like you're not beating me today Daniel okay uh, and I they tell the story later that I literally outrun my cousin Daniel on the bike just dripping blood from head to toe no shirt on. I, I, my, my sister uh, uh, grabs me and it looks like I've been in a car wreck and, and my, uh, my uncle Jerome throws me into the car and we race off to get six stitches for being six years old on my chin. How many of you had that moment where you hit the pavement and you got that nasty scar but you don't have this beautiful beard to cover it up, right? And, and, and yet uh, I, I remember what that was like to feel out of control. But the problem was I didn't even realize I was out of control because my mind was set on other things. My mind was set on my uh, resentment and my jealousy uh, and, and, and my anger towards my cousin who's, who's having a great time and he's not concerned with, with whether or not I'm having a good time or not. And, and I look over at him and make eye contact with him because now I'm just, I'm just stoked that I'm beating him and it doesn't dawn on me until things go wrong that I was never in control of that bike and that some of the being out of control was of my own making and taking matters into my own hands see this particular passage shows us one of the darkest days in human history, the day that the Son of God, the person of Jesus, the most loving, beautiful, and glorious human being is betrayed. And ultimately, he'll be betrayed, tried in the night, and on the next day, he'll be beaten within an inch of his life, and he'll be taken to the top of a mountain called Golgotha, and he'll be crucified, a criminal, he'll be executed, and he'll die a criminal's death in front of thousands of people. And it will be all because of the betrayal of a friend, a friend who meets him in the middle of the night in a place where he's often meeting with his disciples and where we find ourselves in this particular passage. And we've been there for many weeks now is chapter 13 on to 17. And Jesus entered into the upper room. He had a meal with his friends and he began to give a discourse on all of life 
and reality to finally over the last couple weeks we've been in John 17 where John 17 Jesus prays this prayer and his prayer is the heart for us that we would be whole and complete lacking nothing where so many of us are trying to fill our lives and fill the void of our lives with so many things and stuff and material objects and people and relationships and yet we still find ourselves lacking we know people who seemingly have everything and still act as though they have nothing and yet what we learn is the human condition that for us that we are made uh, by this loving God and this separation from this loving God has left this void of relationship where the human heart is longing for completeness and the Lord Jesus prays Lord I pray father I pray that they would be complete and one as you and I are one that they would lack nothing as you and I lack nothing that they would be whole and complete after he says these words, they make their way into the garden, this place where they're going to pray, pray. The other gospels will tell us that the other disciples are not even able to pray with Jesus an hour and, and they're becoming tired and they don't see the, the, the gravity of the particular moment that they're in. This moment where Judas has procured a group of soldiers and officers and He's got a legion of men, and notice where they, uh, the, the, how they come. They, they grab weapons and lanterns and torches, and, and they're coming in uh, the, the night, under the, the skies of night. They're going to do something that they know that would be condemned in the light of day. They know that the, in the court of popular opinion, this would not be what people would approve of, and yet... In the night, they come for Jesus. In this particular place where it says that Jesus has met with his disciples often, this place that Judas knows. And here they are. But here's what I want you to see. That even in this particular moment, even in a dire moment, even in a moment that is seemingly chaos, don't you see what the author John leaves for us here? Notice verse 4 that I, I pointed out to you as we read, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. Now, how's that country song go? If I, if I knew back then what I know now, man, how many of us wish we could go back and change some things knowing what we know now? Someone say, oh no. And some of us wish we could go back and change things. And, and yet, uh, how many of us uh, would, knowing the future, knowing this particular moment, Jesus knowing what will happen to him, knowing from the betrayal, the cause and effect is the betrayal of a, a friend, a friend who he's been with, he's never had an argument with besides the time that he criticized the lady for breaking a box of perfume over the feet of Jesus and saying, oh, if we could sell that, we could give more money to the poor. But he only said that so that he could have more money in the money bag in order to steal. Jesus has cared for him and loved him. He's not treated him any different. And this man betrays the son of God. Listen, this is wickedness on a display that we could not even begin to comprehend. 
If you, if you say, man, this is a difficult one and I can identify because I've been betrayed. Let me tell you, friend, you have never been betrayed in this particular manner. Man, I had someone stab me in the back. You've never had someone do the kind of wickedness that Judas Iscariot, who's given himself over to the evil one in order to betray the most perfect, beautiful, spotless, blameless lamb of God. That's why Jesus says in his prayer in John 17, he says that I have not lost any of these except the son of perdition, the son of judgment the one who's a cure for himself, that has allowed his mind by Satan himself to be corrupted in order that he would betray the Son of God, not just to do a bad business deal, not in a way that, that is just dishonoring or fool me once, you know, fool me twice, shame on, on me. It, it not, e- not even to that type of betrayal, a betrayal that will cause him an innocent man to be beaten and crucified and murdered and stripped bare in front of thousands of people. You and I cannot even begin to imagine the type of betrayal that Jesus faces and knowing all that would happen to him, knowing all that would happen to him. I mean, many of us say, man, if I had known that, I'd have never taken that job. I mean, you go, man, I, if I would have known what they would do, I would have never been friends with them. If I would have known that would happen, I would never have gotten into that relationship. I would never. And yet, Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, what, is it, what does he do? Verse four says, he came forward. He came forward. Knowing all, knowing all the suffering, all the pain, he still takes the step forward. He is the one who is in control. A legion of men with lanterns and weapons and torches come to take Jesus and knowing all that would happen, Jesus does what? Steps forward. It reminds me of the words of Paul that he says, while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. While we were opposed, while we were far from God, this is how you'll know what love is. Not that you first loved God, but that he first loved you. Knowing all that you would do, knowing all that you would betray, all the times that you would say yes to to him one day and no to him the next, all the days you would stumble, all the days you would mess up, and knowing that he would pay the price for those things, yet this is the good news. Knowing all of that, he still steps forward. He still moves towards the plan. He still moves towards the purpose that God has laid out from the foundations of the world. See, it's in moments where things go wrong that we realize that feeling of being out of control. See, it's days like this. There's there's men with lanterns and torches and they're coming to arrest. God, you cannot be in control. You cannot be the one deciding. I mean, think about those moments. Think about the moments in your life where you feel like God is no longer in control. Those moments that you have to remind yourself, that you wrestle with, the moments when stuff has hit the fan and things around the world look chaotic and you ask the question, where is God? I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. In moments where you go, man, you couldn't have been a part of this. 
You couldn't have had your hand in this. You couldn't have been there. And yet John writes for us and looking back shows us and puts us on, puts on display this passage that can seemingly be one of the most dark passages. This moment where we picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane under the night sky and men coming to betray him, knowing that the whole thing changes from here. Yet what John leaves for us is even in the chaos, God is in control. Even in the chaos, even in the moment where you think he's not what you realize is that Jesus is doing something that is beyond what I can see, touch, and feel. It's beyond what meets the eye, and sometimes I have to stand and look back. You ever heard those moments in your life where you look back and you realize, man, I can't believe God was there, right? When you were in it, you were like, man, that was one of the worst days. How many of you have had those days? One of the worst days. And then it took years later for you to look back and go, God, somehow you were even in that. And you were a part of that mess. And you were a part of that situation. I couldn't even imagine. It took, now, years later, looking back, John looks back even at this, one of the worst days, and goes, somehow he knew all that would happen and every step of the way in the middle of the chaos. Think about the opening pages of scripture and what this says about Jesus that ultimately the opening pages of scripture says that God gave order to the chaos, that he ordered creation, all that was, was in the, uh, the, the void and waste of the dark and uncreated world. God gives light right in the middle of the darkness. Yet that's what this passage is beginning to show me. It says that he stepped forward knowing all that would happen to him. And he asked this question. This is the question that he steps toward and we have to wrestle with that he steps towards us in the chaos. Think about the moments where you're in chaos. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that sometimes the moments that our prayer life is most potent is in the times of chaos, in the times of difficulty. And think about what Jesus asked of these men in the middle of the chaos. He asked the question, whom do you seek? And maybe you could hear the voice of Jesus saying to us, whom do you seek? In the middle of your storm, in the middle of your chaos, in the middle of the night of betrayal, whom do you seek? Or in other words, what can I do? What are you looking for? Whom are you searching for? And they say to him, we're looking for. They've set out in their hearts for the plan of God. Jesus steps forward and he says to them, they say to him, Jesus of Nazareth. That's who we're looking for, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says this. Jesus said to them, I am am he notice this verse look in your bibles in verse five it says i am he now when jesus says this he's not simply identifying himself as jesus of nazareth he's actually using the very words of of god in the burning bush in the old testament where he says i am that i am when he says i am he notice what happens judas who betrayed him was standing with them 
When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Or in other words, what he did was he revealed in the middle of the chaos just who he is. When he says, I am he, it's as as if his glory is revealed. If you can imagine a shining light burst forth from Jesus, so powerful in the sound of his voice that this legion of men, these soldiers and officers and, and these high priests and these Pharisees, all the men who have weapons and lanterns, all of those fall back onto the ground, much like Moses did when he fell to his face when he saw the burning bush or the high priest who would be overwhelmed by the presence of God or in the book of Isaiah where it says, I saw a vision of the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and I fell to my face as though I was dead. Jesus revealed that he is the uncreated God of the universe, the everything that you could possibly look for and hope for. I am that I am even in this situation, even the most dire, in the midst of betrayal, In the darkest of night, I am he and reveals to them who he is. I find it funny that they pick themselves up and they gather themselves wondering if they should really go on with this. They swallow hard and Jesus asks them again, whom do you seek? Man, I can imagine them going, are we really going to do this? Like, did you see that? I mean, all of us felt it. Were you there? I mean, I saw his voice shook us and caused us all to fall back. And I don't know. It seems like we were here to do one thing, but it seems like even when we've set out to do evil, he seems to be in control. Think about what this passage is putting on display. Even when the enemy is at his worst, even even when he has all the plans and all the schemes, God is still the one orchestrating. Who do you seek? I am he. And then he says, who do you seek? Once again, he asks. They say again, Jesus of Nazareth. And I could see him kind of shake his head and say, I told you that I am he. Then he says this, So if you seek me, let these men go. If you seek me, then let these men go. I mean, think about that. There there is a legion of soldiers. They're the ones in charge. They're the ones, men, they don't get told what to do. They tell what to do. It doesn't go like this. And yet, against all logic, against all odds, Jesus says them, Is it me that you want? Then let these men go. John will write this. He says, this word was, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of whom you gave me. I have not lost one. See, this scene is the scene that changes from Jesus just simply teaching us and telling us what he's going to do. What he puts on display is what he actually will do. This is the scene where we actually go from seeing the word of God to seeing the works of God, where we see him do exactly what he set out to do. He is not just in word only. This is not merely ideology or philosophy. This is the God of the universe becoming a man and living 
living a selfless, obedient life, even to the point of death. And this is why we rally around him, because even in this, he seems to be in control. And he puts on display for us the very message of the gospel. Think about this first illustration. If it's I who you seek, then let these men go. I mean, imagine, imagine trading places. Imagine knowing, standing there, that you're a guilty one. Know, knowing that, that you've plotted, knowing that you've schemed, and knowing that Christ does not deserve to die. And yet, Jesus trades places. Martin Luther would call this the great exchange. This is the first time Jesus says, no, 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 take me and let them go. Imagine what that says for us today. Well, Jesus stands throughout all of eternity. The message of the gospel is that he came in exchange for you and I. See, there's a, a very liberal inter- interpretation of the scriptures. And I don't mean from a political standpoint. What I mean is uh, a conservative view of the scriptures is that the scriptures mean and s- uh, they mean what they mean and they say what they mean. And yet, when we get to passages like this, there's a liberal idea that Jesus did not come in order to die, but in other words, he got himself killed. That because of what he said and what he did and the life, it it, it was so at odds with the establishment that he died a martyr's death. And now his life becomes an example of how you and I, but more than an example, more than a model, he is the Messiah. He is the one who's come to save us and the only one who can. And it was his plan from the beginning he did not he did not get himself killed he gave his life as ransom for you and I this is the message of the gospel he comes forward even knowing what will happen to him when they ask whom do you seek I am he let me identify myself and let me go in their place let these men go free See, this is the gospel. This is the good news that Christ allows himself to be taken captive. Why? So you can go free. This is the message of the gospel that he allows himself to be bound so that you never have to be bound ever again. Someone say amen to that. He allows himself to be betrayed and rejected. Why? So you can be accepted. This is the message of the gospel. This is put on display in the very words of scripture when we see the person of Jesus. And yet, although he's in control, although he's the one writing the story, they still don't get it. They still don't see all of the plan. They still don't quite know what Jesus is came to do you ever have conversations with Jesus and you still don't really know what he's up to (laughs) right you ever hear the words of Jesus you you, you ever come out of a sermon and go what was what was that wait a second 
You're in those moments where, man, I've been with Jesus. I'm listening, but I still don't quite get it. Why? Because his ways are higher than your ways. This newness of life transcends us above the here and now and what meets the eye. It's beyond what I can taste, see, or feel, or touch. It is beyond. That's what Jesus has been saying from the very start. This is about being born again. This is about newness of life. This is about the old going away and something new being birthed right in the middle of this place that already is. It's the newness right in the middle of the oldness. And anyone who's been following Jesus for some time, you know what that's like. You're hyper aware that there are two yous that live in you. You ever had a conversation with you? Some of you are nervous about that. Like, yeah, you know, it's okay to talk to yourself, right? It's even okay to answer yourself as long as you don't say, huh, right? And, and yet you can have a conversation with you. You can, you can be aware that there is a new you and there's some, there, there's some ways in which you realize there's a contrast between the old behavior and the old you and the new you. And that's what he's been saying this newness of life coming from the inside out, what was buried, almost as if our, our bodies have been tombs and something needs to be resurrected out of it. So then Paul is right that, that if I join him in his death, then I would join him in his life. He's been trying to show us that. The whole world has been trying to tell us and put us on display that it's death that brings life. How many of you have recently driven the Gaviota Coast? How many of you have seen how green it is lately? You seen? How many of you know that there was, there was a, a, a large fire just a few months ago? Right? The Alisal fire burned up thousands and thousands of acres of land. And, and I don't know if you saw the burn scar over the past few months. It's almost non existent. When I was driving the other day and there's just yellow flowers all over the mountain. And so you need to go there today. You need to see it. And you'll barely, maybe every once in a while, you'll see a little remnant of that scar. You'll see a, a little bit of a remnant or, or one tree that seems uh, to, to be uh, 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 charred and, and black. But what you see all around it is newness of life. And if you didn't know there was a fire there, if you didn't know, if someone hadn't told you, if you drove the coast right now, you would never believe it because all of the life that you see around it, see all of creation is telling us that something has to die in order for things to live. And you know that to be true. You know it to be true that every time you eat a meal, every time something gave its life for your nourishment, something gave its life for you to live, and yet things had to be burned away in order for this, this life to flourish. You know that to be true, that there were things in you that you had to say no to in order to say yes to. You know there were behaviors that you had to put to death. There are mindsets and attitudes that needed to be put in order for you to live the life God's called you to live. Your, your life is evidence that death brings life. And yet, the disciples don't get it. Peter, notice what he does. Man, Peter gets a bad rap, but 
He, he takes and he pulls a sword and he strikes Marines first. Well, some people call, call Peter a coward. Man, I don't think cowards strike Marines first. I mean, uh, uh, he, he's procured for them a, a, a group of soldiers and officers and religious leaders. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's, there's 12 of them, including Jesus. There's 12 of them. There's much more of them, a legion of men. And Peter decides he's going to strike first. See, I don't know that we fully read the story when we, we point out and say Peter's a coward because he denies Jesus. But it's this moment that Peter's world is shattered and turned upside down because what he thought and what Jesus was actually going to do were at odds with one another. You ever found yourself in that moment? Where what you wanted was at odds with what Jesus was actually doing? Where, where this moment, like I can imagine Peter looking at Jesus, go, Jesus, man, I, I think you're out of control on this one. I mean, I can imagine Peter looking at the situation going, this can't be God. This can't be right. I'll take matters into my own hands. See, it's those moments that we realize that we're just peddling and we're out of control because we were never in control to begin with. Our feet never quite touched the pedals. No matter if you're a control freak, no matter if you like to have all the T's crossed and all the dies, the I's dotted, you're not in control. And it's the moments where you grab the bike out of the neighbor's bushes and you take matters in your own hands and you grab the sword first and you go, you know what? I think you're asleep on this, Jesus. I think, I'll, I think I'm gonna have to help you out. <laughs> you're like, I, you know what? I think, I think your hand's off the wheel on this one. I think you're asleep at the wheel. Jesus, what are you doing? This isn't how it's supposed to go. But how many of us all the time? We look around the world, we look at situations, we look and go, really? Really? You got it on autopilot? Man, I think I'll get involved. I think I'll take matters into my own hands. And sometimes, let's be honest, the, the moments that have, we've hit the pavement, we've stumbled the hardest, were the moments where we s stopped thinking that God was in control and we were convinced that we could handle the situation better and we took matters into our own hands. Just me. We thought, I can fix this. I can fix this relationship. I can, I can fix this drama. If they could just hear me, if they could listen to me, if I could be in charge, really. See, this story leaves for us 
The reality that even in the darkest, most chaotic of situations, God is still in control. See, the whole point of Christ's coming was to change the world at the soul level, not just at the surface, not just at a political level, not just at a monetary level. He set out to change the world from the inside out, you and I, from a soul level. Because listen, politics and rules and laws never change human hearts. You know, that moment on the bike wasn't wasn't the time I felt the most out of control. You know when I feel the most out of control? This is when my kids are sick. I mean, moms, dads, those moments where your babies are, there's a fever and they're sick and there's nothing you can do and you're just holding them and you, you feel lonely and lost. I can't fix this. And those are the moments I feel most out of control. I'll tell you, man, I've had a week that's been out of control. Everything I set out to do this week did not happen. You have weeks like that? Man, and out of my control, man, I get sick. I had all this new ideas for my sermon prep and I had the guys come and I did all this pre-work that I would do before we were supposed to discuss it. And, and I'm just getting over this sickness and then all of a sudden I think I'm fine and then I get this this debilitating sinus headache where man I felt like my head was going to explode I had Mark Thompson in there and Rick Murray and Joe and Tyler they're all there and and I literally have to uh, put something over my head I have to go to the bathroom I end up on uh, on the floor of the bathroom and the guys are like man I I think we should just go have lunch can you believe those guys just left Rick in first service just put his head down like, yeah, we went and got tacos. <laughs> so, man, I was like, I ended up at home and, and just, just debilitated in the bed. And, and I'd, like, I'd spent hours uh, calling these other pastors. I had them send their notes and I was working on this new method and, and nothing. And then every time I, I felt like I was getting better, then another kid got sick. And then another kid got sick. And another kid got sick. And then last night, before we're going to uh, launch video venue in Lompoc, man, my wife comes down with 103 fever last night. It's like, man, you do not want the lady in your house to go down, right? It's like, how do you, how do, you do this? Right? She's never been sick before. Like, I didn't think you were a human being, right? Like, uh, I mean, then last night she's in bed and the kids are still feeling it. And I'm laying with my daughter, the last one, like praying she doesn't get sick. Just laying in bed, trying to keep her out. Like she wants to find mommy and just trying to get her to not just go and, 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 and bum rush Sarah and while she's rest, resting and, and, and just uh, trying to go, hey, like... 
just stay, just stay with daddy. And her last night just in her little twin bed. And I'm like, oh man, I'm completely out of control. <laughs> right? Like, like, I know, like it's, it's moments of like, man, I can't change this. And then the, here's what's wild is, man, of all the weekends for us not to get an extra hour of sleep and like, who gets to decide this, right? Like we should find this person and have a conversation. Like quit messing with the clocks, right? And, and then I get here and the first service was literally like not started for like five minutes into the service and then 10 minutes. I was like, and like, I don't know if you guys know this, but like, Joe does everything around here and no one could find Joe. We're like, what's going on? I go over into the green room where the worship band, I was like, have you guys, where's Joe? They're like, we haven't seen him. I was like, you haven't seen him? Like they didn't mention that they hadn't seen him or he hasn't come in there yet. They just literally said, we haven't seen him, which in my mind was like, Joe's worst fear has come true. He overslept and he's not here. And, and like, it, like you guys didn't practice at the band. And what happened was he's literally over, like I'm FaceTiming him and he's over here by the computers trying to get the live feed to work. On the day where we are launching video in Lompoc, we're so glad that you're there and there's a group of people and, and God's going to help us. But with all the control that we can possibly try to put together, we realize, man, we are in control of nothing. The one thing we needed to work is not working. Right? And he's, he's scrambling. We started the first service 15 minutes late this morning. And I'm like trying not to lose it. Because i got to get up there in a minute and tell a bunch of people, God's in control. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm like, of all, the, of all the days, I'm looking around like, right? My, my wife texts me like of all the day, like there's 60 people on the online campus in the first service. Like there's no video, all audio. Like, where are you guys at? It's like rainbow screen. It's like, it, like what's going on? And my wife's like of all the days. And I was like, God's in control. Like of all the sermons on all the days in all the weeks. So you've had days like that. You've had moments like that. You've had chaotic. You got to remind yourself because he has a plan. And here's the thing. When my kids are sick, and I, I spent years, you know, those years where they, they just won't take the medicine. Like you're just trying to like, oh, man, come on, blowing in their mouth. Come on, take it. Right. I just want you to get better. And you're like, man, I wish I could take it for you. Or I wish, I wish I could take this sickness for you. But the reality is you can't. But here's what's different between us and Christ. Is that the world is sick. The world is sick with sin. Broken. The cancer of the heart is the sin that separated us from a loving God. That's fractured the relationship. It's like a disease that we can't get rid of. Here's what Jesus says to Peter. Put your sword into its sheath. That won't help. That's surface level. And then he says this, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 
See, here's the difference between Jesus and us. Is we can't take on sickness for others. But Jesus took on sin for us. He allowed, he drank the cup of suffering that would satisfy the payment for sin and corruption. And he condemned sin in his flesh. He drank the cup and he traded places and he offers this new life and it changes from the inside out so that you no longer have to be controlled by sin because he conquered it and now he gives you his spirit so that you can be in control of you you don't have to feel out of control with addiction you don't have to feel out of control with uh with uh, with depression and anxiety, fear, greed, resentment, lust. You do not have to be out of control. He's in control. And he's done what it takes. He is the cure. He drank the cup. This is the plan. This is the gospel. Be reminded in the chaos God is still in control. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person here. I thank you for those who are gathered at the Lompoc campus. I thank you that you would help us in the chaos of life still know and be persuaded that God is in control. Let us not take matters into our own hands, but let us trust the plan of God the plan that's better than our plan. I thank you for my family who's at homesick. My wife, I pray that you'd touch her body. My kids. But God, I pray that you'd help us as a culture not be afraid to actually say the words, I'm sick. Where we now live in a culture where to be sick is to be sinful and unclean. And we're missing opportunities to pray for people, to be there for people, to love people, to care for people. Let us remove that. Let us actually lay hands on the sick that they may recover because we believe that you're a God who heals from the inside out. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you for what you're doing at the Lompoc campus, what you're doing online. I thank you for your grace that this is all about you, Jesus, for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen.